Hey, Podcast Brunch Club. Before we begin, a quick thanks to our organizational partners, Podchaser, Critical Frequency, Audioboom, and Listen Notes. These are all companies you should look into if you're interested in great content and podcast discovery. They support and give back to the listener community. If you're an individual or an organization and you want to support the amazing listener community, think about becoming a supporter. Go to patreon.com slash podcast brunch club. Hi, and welcome to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. And this month, the theme of the listening list was languages. We included four episodes on the podcast playlist, and one of them was an episode of Ologies. And I am like so, so thrilled to be here with Allie Ward, the creator behind Ologies. Welcome, Allie. Hello. It's so nice to be here. If I sound giddy, I'm sorry. I'm just giddy. Oh my gosh. You're so, <laughs> I have like so many questions for you. First of all, like, I swear, I'm like, you're like an ologyologist. I, fi- I, swear, I am. Right? I mean, I'm sure yeah. I'm not the first person to say that, but you're totally an ologyologist. And that should be a thing. It should be a thing. And, you know, the thing with language is the more people use it, the more it becomes common parlance and then it becomes legit just by overuse. So just keep calling me an ologyologist. Yeah. And then before you know it, it's going to be a real thing. Somebody's going to be interviewing you. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> First, I guess, like, I want to know, I mean, your podcast is so interesting. And it's like, you would do such a great job of asking the right questions, making it feel comfortable. You're so charming. You're hilarious. Aww. Like, you make everything so relatable. And I'm just so curious, like, how did you come about? Like, how did you get here? And like, how do I become so relatable and charming? <laughs> Number one, I'm blushing to death. If I die, it's because all of the blood is now in my cheeks and I'll just to die. Um, thank you so much. It's, um, you know, I've always been super, super curious and I started my, I had this love for science that started. My parents got me a microscope, like kind of as like a here, like a, a Christmas mm-hmm. gift, like when I was really young. And so I started just looking at the world through this microscope and being like, there's so much we don't know. Like, I think I had a mini tiny baby existential crisis about like, I look, I think it's dust, but it's full of all these weird little hairs. So I just started getting really curious about the world and wanting to take things apart. Um, I tried to figure out how an escalator worked at four and that got me to the hospital. So (laughs) I was like, yeah, it was like, they literally had to pull me out of an escalator. And then Oh my god! so yeah, I I always was maybe a little too curious. But you know, I, I always loved performance and performing arts and science. And I wasn't quite sure which direction to go because I, I knew I wanted to keep learning things. But I also was kind of loved connecting with an audience was kind of a ham. And so I ended up wanting to do science communication. And for a while, I was you know, I studied film and media and stuff and TV and I was in front of the camera, you know, acting and stuff. But I was also kind of this like goth feminist in high school and college. And I started getting really irked that all the roles for women in performance were victims and, you know, SVU crime shows where it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, we need you to come in and just walk down the street and then get slain and then be a dead body. And I was like, I feel like there's, if you're going to dedicate your life to mass media, there's got to be a better way to do it as a woman. So I started writing for newspapers and stuff. And so I really realized that I wanted, my goal in life was just to have a voice, especially as a woman. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's funny that podcasting ended up being the thing that 
has fit me so well because it literally is just a voice. Like mm-hmm. you're just a voice in the darkness. <laughs> like you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're a voice in, in someone's brain as they're washing the dishes or they're hiking or they're, you know, on a plane. But I just always really wanted to take combine curiosity and writing. And then I felt as a woman, putting your mark on the world through your voice was the most empowering thing you could do. So it's kind of podcasting just takes that like unabashed curiosity and uh, and that wanting to to be a woman with a voice. I think what I love about your podcast, and, and it's so well captured and your tagline asks smart people stupid questions. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, like, did, is that the way you went into it? Like when you first started the podcast, did you just know like that's just what you wanted to do? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it it started like I was doing other TV things like uh, six or seven years ago. I with a friend was doing like cooking channel stuff and it didn't feel super authentic. And I realized I kind of I kind of was playing a part and I thought, oh, man, this is still not my authentic voice. And I got I had a really bad year. I had like the shittiest. I had a great professional year where I was like doing TV stuff, but my dad got really sick and I went Mm. through, um, my boyfriend and I, we've been together, um, on and off for a long time, but we were off and, and we were both having a really hard time. We were just a mess. And I was so depressed. I, I, my friend Leela Higgins, who is in my entomology episode talking about bugs, she, okay, she's like, come down to the natural history museum of LA. I'll show you around the insect pod where no one gets to go. And I love bugs. And so she recommended I start volunteering and I started volunteering at the museum just for, you know, free one day a week, a couple hours a day, just because I was really deeply depressed. And it changed my whole life. Like, hmm. it reignited this sense of wonder in me that I'd kind of lost. And it made me realize that who I was in my professional life didn't feel authentic to me. And I remember my Instagram was a lot of like, you know, cocktails, TV, cooking mm-hmm. channel travel. And I was like, I'm afraid to put up pictures of the museum because it's like so off brand. People are gonna be like, mm-hmm. what's this about? And I was like, this is who I am though, like bugs and taxidermy and all this stuff that's felt more me. So I remember putting up pictures from the museum and I remember thinking this feels really like me. And that inspired me to get back into science and get back into science communication. And I met so many great scientists through the museum and we'd sit around talking and they would have these stories where they're like, yeah, you know, I had to chase a porcupine out of my hut <laughs> with an acoustic guitar in the jungle. And you're like, what? And someone else is like, I, I really, you know, screwed up my experiment. And then that made me realize something else. But you're hearing like all of these really human stories. And I remember thinking when we hear scientists in the media, we see them as a soundbite on CNN or a soundbite mm-hmm. on NPR. We don't know them. And I was so inspired by those, everyone I'd met that I was like, I want to sit down and I want to make scientists rock stars. Like I Mm -hmm. want people to become like fangirls, fanboys of like these people that are out there collecting parasitic wasps and, you know, who are tracking cougars in urban areas in Los Angeles and, you know, monitoring their health. And they just had these really great human stories. So I remember just being like this more I ask the questions that I'm afraid to ask, the better stories I get. And no one's ever mad at me for asking what I thought would be a stupid question. It's always like, oh, that's a good question. You're like, oh, okay. (laughs) And so I think that's the podcast kind of started is wanting to really venerate these people who are doing science who might be next to you at Trader Joe's and you have no idea. They have these crazy field stories and these struggles to get into 
graduate school and maybe they're the first people in their family that have ever been to college and they get a PhD. It's like these stories are really amazing. And and I, mm-hmm. I felt like they had to be told. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's also like, so the science part is so interesting, even to non-sciencey people. Like, I feel like people just really categorize themselves probably around sixth grade and then just they're either a science person or they're not a science person or yes. you know, like and as soon as you're not a science person it's like you just can't consume anything that has anything to do with science but these kinds of podcasts and these science communications efforts that are you know geared more for regular people they make it so much easier to consume science it's not like your typical science textbook or really technical journal article mm-hmm. so i completely appreciate the fact that you're bringing science to people who may not necessarily consume it. Oh, thank you. That was so my aim is I feel like once you graduate from school and you no longer have to take a science course, people are like, well, science is for kids. And I'm like, it's not for kids. Like (laughs) it is for kids, but people just assume like you think of science content and you think of like Comic Sans font in like primary colors and it's like (laughs) science, right? And it's like making a volcano with baking soda, but it's like there is so much science in sex and whiskey and like the psychology of who you fall in love with and why you're afraid to do your taxes. There's like so much science in adulthood, how your car yeah. runs, like, you know, there's there's science in everything. There's science in how you water your plants and why you can't keep a cactus alive, in my case, and um, <laughs> in gardening. And so I wanted to make science, I wanted to take it out of a clinical aspect and out of a classroom aspect. And, you know, I looked at a lot of the science podcasts that exist and like, None of them swear because they, you know, they want to be kids safe. And I'm like, well, I mm-hmm. want to hear scientists say fuck sometimes, you know, <laughs> like I want to scientists are people where, you know, I'm science, people who like science are not all like Catholic school nuns being like, mitosis is necessary, you know, like, mm-hmm. so I kind of wanted to take this notion that science is all around us and let people know who don't think they're science people that if they breathe and if they eat ice cream and if they fall in love and, you know, if they are ever horny, they're into science. Like, you know what I mean? Right. (laughs) Like, it's everywhere. Yeah. And I I think what's so fun about your podcast, too, is that you get into the weeds of like very, very specific off the beaten track kind of ologies, right? You're not just doing epidemiology or paleontology. You're do- you're not doing the ones that everybody you know would immediately go to. You're going you're doing ones that are really obscure. And I personally, if I was younger, it would be really nice to know that these even exist because you know when you're just going to school and your subjects are maths, you know, like these just broad, overarching subjects, math, science language arts, blah, 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 like some foreign yeah. language, you know, you don't get into the weeds and know that, you know, you know, crow, the study of crow death even exists, <laughs> you know? <I> know. <laughs> and so it's not, you know, you, you realize that there's so much more to dig through and it's, there's so much more depth than you think when you're just, you know, going through the rounds at school or whatever. Yeah. And the one commonality I found with a lot of ologists is that I always ask him like, you know, did they like science as a kid? Did they like butterflies as a kid? Did they like whatever they studied? Did they care about birds as a mm-hmm. kid? And kind of figure out what their entree into their ology was. And a lot of times there's a really big driving passion that takes them to it. I, I hear from a mm-hmm. lot of ologists like, oh, I really loved lizards as a kid. And then I kind of forgot about them when I was a teenager. And then I ended up studying and being like, 
wait, I, I do love lizards. And then in grad school, I end up studying them again. And mm-hmm. so I think that in general, whether you're a scientist or not, whether you're an artist, whether you uh, are in finance, whatever really gets you excited and the thing that you want to, if you go into a bookstore and you've got an hour or two to kill, like the subject that you want to go to first in a mm-hmm. bookstore or a library, like look to that to maybe be a guiding force in what you want to do, you know? Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's what I love hearing that from the ologists. Like I love when they get stoked about what they do. <laughs> Yeah, I'm often jealous about, at how stoked they get about the, about their job. Um, but I want to bring us to the to the episode that we listened to for the playlist this month, which was your episode on phonology, which is linguistics mm-hmm. with Nicole Holiday. Yeah, I mean, I found it was a really awesome episode, and I guess I'm wondering what what did you find the biggest takeaway from that conversation to be? You know, I think the biggest takeaway is that. The way we judge each other on language is so, so screwed up. Like mm-hmm. the way people can be so pedantic about grammar or pronunciation or spelling on things when it doesn't affect communication at all. And also that it, there's no reason for that kind of pedantry because language is elastic. Like mm-hmm. language is a tool for communication. It's not set in stone. It changes all the time. It changes from dialect, from community, from what's needed to communicate and also that the way that the curriculum is taught uh or curricula i suppose because it's <laughs> plural oh don't no one get on me for that um <laughs> is really geared toward you know like a a kind of waspy existence right. in in america and i mean i i just loved hearing about how complex african american dialect is and how stringent the grammar is in that particular dialect it was such a great look into how people choose to judge each other and how unfounded that is. Right. It's so interesting to me how language and identity relate to and like how you see yourself. And the whole, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but about the code switching, right? And like how natural it is and how it's not even a thought, but that you will actually change your the way you're talking based on who you're talking mm-hmm. to and also how you feel about them. So if right. you like them, you'll talk like them. And if you don't mm-hmm. like them, you won't talk like them. You'll talk kind of uh-huh. purposely opposite, which is so crazy to me that I we know. could just do that without even thinking about it. I know. I have a really good friend, Dalen Rodriguez. I've known her for 15, almost maybe more than that. And um, I was telling her I was really excited to interview Dr. Holiday because I had heard about Dr. Holiday's work and I'd reached out to her cold and was like, hi, I would love to interview you. I, and I was mentioning to Dayla and I was going to go interview her and I was like, yeah, it's uh, she studies how people kind of change language depending on who they're talking to. And Dayla is like, oh yeah, code switching. I was like, what's it called? She's like, code switching. I was, she's like, you know, I, I talked to my Latinx writers. She's a, a showrunner on a TV show. I talked to my Latinx writers a little different than I might talk to someone at the network. She could do it all the time. I was like, do you do it with me? She's like, probably a little bit. And I was like, really? And she's like, well, yeah, then I talk to you differently than I would my family or, uh, or, you know, Spanish speaking friends of mine. And, um, it's something that I've known her for 15 years. We've never talked about because it, it, it never came up necessarily in that context, but I, I, I instantly felt like I knew Daylin even better. And mm-hmm. it, and it's something that you think anyone who maybe has a, a family culture that is 
different from what is considered like just white Anglo-Saxon in America is adjusting how they speak all the time. And granted, we all kind of do that, you know, probably we all do that to a small degree, but no one is judged on it more than people who are maybe speaking English as a second language or who are are kind of forced to speak one way at school than they do at home. Granted, it is interesting to think that we do that in a micro way too, that I might use completely different slang with one friend than I might with another. Mm -hmm. I mean, every time you go into a job interview and you're like, yes, I'd be very good at this job and my strengths and weaknesses, you know, and then you on the way home call your friend, you're like, oh my God, it sucked. You know, you're you're code switching a little bit, but nothing to the extent that, um, that, you know, the different dialects in America have. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever, I mean, with your friend, have you ever witnessed like the, the code switching? Oh, sure. I mean, I think... I think back and I remember um, we were out at a cafe and uh, she ran into a friend of hers and a friend of hers was Spanish speaking and was there with her mother. And she introduced herself as Dailin. And I'd mm. never heard her, I'd never heard her pronounce her name Dailin before. Mm-hmm. I'd so it's Dailin. And I was, and I was like, Oh, I didn't, do your, do your family calls you Dailin? And she's like, yeah. So it was just interesting that I was like, your very name, the name I've called you for 15 years. I was like, <laughs> you know, she's like, oh yeah, it's just pronounced differently. So yeah, I mean, she does it all the time. And it's just something that it's another thing to just be in awe of and respect about yeah. adaptation and, and how difficult that can be and, yeah. and how much respect that deserves. Right. In some ways it's, I'm envious because she can, switch and relate to a lot of Mm -hmm. different communities just by switching the way that she talks. Whereas I don't think I would ever be able to relate to like a different type of community. Also, I imagine it feels isolating too, like depending on whether or not you feel like you're faking it, I guess, what what she feels like her natural. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's probably too, it's just such a survivalist. You know, Mm -hmm. we survive in these micro ways every day. You know, we, we survive we are so human beings and all animals are so good at adaptation and we do it in these micro ways we don't realize. And, you know, I think that with code switching, it's, it's a lot of it is, is a survivalist mechanism where, yeah. okay, I'm going to get judged at school if I use, you know, African American vernacular English grammatically, even though it has its own stringent grammar. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to, if I use that, I'm going to be told I'm, I'm stupid or I'm not, uh, articulate, even though it's just a completely different dialect. Right. And so I think it's interesting that if you don't feel like you have that switch, you you probably don't realize that you do it in micro ways. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I for sure do it. Just the vocabulary I choose to use. Yeah. Right. And it, you know, what? one thing that was really interesting to me talking to Dr. Holliday was how much the white I don't want to say community because I, I was just talking to Helen Zaltzman about how that, mm. that word community is maybe yep. overused, but is borrows what we want from African-American vernacular English, borrows from we want trends and yeah. and humor and like a, a hipness to it, borrows what we want and then judges what we don't, what we decide to judge. And that to me is what was so infuriating to see is like, when it's adopted in a way that is appropriating and then and then disrespected when yeah. people don't understand the complexity of it and what i found so interesting is the amount of work that she's done is so so incredible and there's a book of african american vernacular english it's like 900 pages long and wow. it's such a complex dialect and 
Though, and she has such an interesting perspective. She mentioned this in the podcast being biracial because as someone yeah. who studies language and who, you know, has a foot in, in kind of different American cultures, she, she really has such a, an amazing breadth of knowledge. But the, the biggest thing about ologies I find is that with context, everything becomes precious in a good way and everything becomes meaningful. I was trying to explain this to a friend, like if you just hopped in and watched the finale of The Bachelor, you'd be like, who are these bitches? What's going on? I don't care who he picks, you know, whatever. You you don't care. But if you've been watching it since episode one and you saw them come out of the limo and you're like, is he going to pick Kelsey or Michaela? Like you care, right? And so with everything becomes important and meaningful with context and the same way that a dialect becomes meaningful when you know the history and complexity and the struggle and the and the bonding behind it that becomes incredibly precious a crow becomes precious when you know how they communicate with each other and that they have funerals and that they can recognize human faces like you know we heard in mm-hmm. crow thanatology as i'm sitting here looking out the window i see crows i just saw a butterfly <laughs> go by and it's like okay that butterfly has more context because I know its backstory that it eats shit because it needs salt. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and like the butterflies literally feast on shit in the jungle and they're these beautiful things, but they're disgusting. And so, um, <laughs> they eat things that like a cockroach might not eat. And so everything becomes meaningful. And I feel like with ologies, one thing I try to do is give people who maybe don't think they care about science, this entree into science by having them look at trees differently and looking mm-hmm. at grammar differently and looking at plants differently and, and bugs and all these things become like the finale of The Bachelor where you're just so invested because you know the backstory and that's so exciting. That's what yeah. I, th- th- those are the stones that I love to, to overturn, you know? Yeah, totally. The stuff that you can't get from like getting a book out of the library. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we talked a little bit about Podcast Brunch Club and, and the thing that I'm most proud of is just the community aspect of it. And mm-hmm. I think you do such a good job of engaging your audience and your community and and like turning your audience into your community. You know, Aww. you give them and, and I'm just wondering, how hard is that? Is that something that you just it's just so easy? Or is it something that you really have to focus your effort on? Like, I know that you part of your um Patreon benefits are that you get to ask questions of the experts and stuff. But like, how how important is that to you, the community aspect of it? And how easy or difficult is that for you to oh, implement? It's it's hugely important in a way that I, I didn't think I, I realized when I went into it. And it's so hard. <laughs> it's, mm. like so, it's, it's really, it comes really, really naturally. But the thing that's hard about it is just time. Like I try to answer every DM, even in my hidden DMs folder in the forbidden DMs where it's mm-hmm. like people you don't, you know, you don't mm-hmm. follow DM you. I try to answer everything. And the last couple months, it's gotten really difficult just because I'm realizing I'm I'm spending a lot of time answering emails and answering DMs and commenting back to people. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I have to make an episode. Like, mm-hmm. And so I'm just the amount of time that it takes. And so what's really hard for the, the biggest challenge is not answering everyone, like seeing something and not writing back. Um, and I don't know, I, I think I took a personality test once and it was like, your, your trust scale is too high. And I was like, you trust <laughs> too many people and you like too many people. And like, I've been through some shit. Like I've been mugged at 
knife point and like I've had some shitty boyfriends, but for some reason, um, I'm just, I just love everyone. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's really, it's really weird. Like everyone is like a potential friend. And I realize that that's probably very stupid because there there have been a few people where I'm like, okay, you're a creep, like you're blocked. But, um, but I'm not like completely lacking street smarts, but I don't know. I really, I just feel like a, like such empathy for, for everyone that listens that I, I want to respond to them like I would a friend. But I think what's been really cool about the ologies community, I started doing listener questions when I first started and I just would source them from Twitter or Facebook because I kind of was curious what people wanted to hear about, you know? Mm-hmm. And I also thought it would be a good way to get people excited about when the episode aired, you know, they'd be like, Oh, I remember when you asked that question. And, you know, I wonder if they answered my question. And so when I started a Patreon, I did it because I wasn't on a network at all. And I, you know, was incurring costs starting Mm -hmm. the podcast, you know, editors and, and I would, you know, equipment and stuff. And so I started just having a really low threshold, like a dollar a month, but it's been really cool to see the people who listen, like call themselves ologites and and answer each other's questions and the yeah. Facebook group is awesome. Like my friends Hannah Lippo and um Aaron Talbert, I've known them for years. They admin it and they're also just really great people and uh I think maybe people respect them too enough not to misbehave, but right. I think like if you have an I think if you have a Facebook group too or if you have a community where people are posting, mm-hmm. it's I think it's kind of as a creator, it's good to be active in that community because it keeps the focus respectful. I mm-hmm. think when when people see their host or their creator, their artist or whatever they're supporting in the community, I think they're less likely to be dicks to each other. Mm-hmm. They're more mm-hmm. likely to mind their manners because they don't want the person that they listen to to see them bullying somebody else. Like you know, yeah. So I think I I started being just you know active and on Patreon and Facebook and just because I wanted to join the conversation. But I think it. I don't know. In a way, I think it keeps people like, okay, dad's here. Nobody, yeah. you know. <laughs> Dad Ward is here. <laughs> yeah, Dad Ward is here. And uh, But with Patreon, I, I want to be making more videos and I want to be doing more. I call the, I call the top tier Patreons uh, and just chat with them sometimes. And so, yeah. but it's, it's hard because I'm making the, I'm making the episode. So it's sometimes yeah. it's difficult to, to have time to do it all. Yeah. It's hard. Well, I was, um, inspired by what you do. And so what I did was I actually posted in my podcast brunch club Facebook group that I was going to be interviewing you and I asked people oh. if they had questions. Oh my God. That's exciting. Yeah. And <laughs> so most excited. people were like, oh my God, that's a huge land. Congratulations. A lot of people <laughs> were just like so excited. So I do have a couple of questions. And so Yay! Caesar, who actually was the person who I so I've known about allergies and you asked me this before we started recording. I found out about allergies through the podcast Brunch Club podcast because we had featured Rose Eveleth's podcast flash forward on a previous playlist. And Mm -hmm. when I was doing this like exact type of interview with her, I asked her the question I will ask you at the end of this episode, which is what podcast do you want to recommend to the podcast brunch club community? And she mm-hmm. recommended yours. So oh, that's how I found out about it. She's such a badass. Yeah, she's awesome. But oh, Caesar, she's our um, chapter leader in Milwaukee, recommended this specific episode for this theme. So 
and he asked, and he he actually curated uh, last month's playlist on citizen science, which actually is excellent, and you might be interested to look at it just because of your focus yes. on science. But Hell yeah. um, he is a scientist, and he asks a couple questions. What advice would you give to scientist or specialist to be a better communicator? Ooh, this is such a good question. Um, this is the advice that I give to people who are about to go on camera or who are about to give a speech or who are about to present something. And it always helps me. Two pieces of advice. One is pretend you're at a dinner party. Like if you're at a dinner party and you started talking about your science, like as though you had a, uh, a keynote speak, it would, mm-hmm. people would think it was like, what? <laughs> and so the way that you would, kind of conduct yourself at a, at a dinner party where you're you're conversational, you keep things kind of kind of brief but detailed if people want to know more and just keep it relatable and engaging is mm-hmm. kind of the the best way to do it. So like that that tone of being like relaxed, conversational but informative is kind of the best way to do it. I think a lot of times when we want to do a really good job, we're like, well, the more professional I am, the better a job you'll do. And that is like a brain fallacy that in communication actually like shoots us in the foot. Yeah. Because sometimes when you, the more professional you try to be, the more stiff you are and mm. and not relatable. So to give yourself permission to just pretend it's a dinner party. And the other thing is I had to do, I had to go present in front of this theater of like 4,000 people. And I didn't know until earlier that day that it was going to be in, I thought it was in front of a hundred people. Mm. And it was at the Dolby Theater, which is like where they do the Oscars. Oh and I did not look at the address. And I was like, this is it, the Dolby? Oh, my God. This is like, you know. So I was – and you walk out and it's just – it looks like a green screen. There's so many people. And I was I was so nervous. And so I would, gave myself a pep talk before I went on. And it's something that I've remembered whenever I get scared. But it's um, show up like you belong and have fun. Mm. Like those two pieces of advice – when you have to communicate something publicly are so helpful because it's just don't worry about imposter syndrome. Am I not going to do a good job? Do they care? Did it just show up like you belong? Just Mm -hmm. convince yourself, I belong here. This is where I'm supposed to be. I belong. Yeah. And then into have fun because that's one thing that we forget to do when we want to do a good job is to have fun and and, um, having a little bit of fun with it and being loose is is so engaging and so freeing. So yeah, dinner party, show up like you belong, have fun. Awesome. He also <laughs> asked, what ology has surprised you the most? Oh, my God. Um, butterflies surprised me the most. I don't think I realized how gross butterflies are. <laughs> and uh, and Phil Torres is uh, a good friend of mine, and he's a lepidopterologist, and uh, he loves butterflies. So hearing a lot of those jungle stories really surprised me. And I just recorded an episode this week that's coming up on this, this coming week on Tuesday, that's astrobiology, life on other Ooh. planets. Oh my gosh. Aliens. Wow. And so I know. So getting to hear about how they're looking for aliens and where they're looking for for aliens and if they should be called aliens, because technically if we're on their planet, we're the alien. Yeah. So that was that was one I was I was really excited about. I think hopefully people will like it. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it was dope. So Sarah, who is also the co-host of my, the podcast, and she's the chapter leader of our Houston chapter, has a couple questions. Ooh. And she wants to know if you vet your dad puns with your friends. <laughs> <first>. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, I would like to maintain my friendships and I would never <laughs> like to barrage them with the puns. A lot of times they're so they're they're said 
in private in a closet where I record and I'm like, I should take this one out. And then I just don't. I just leave it in. That's how I got the name Dad Ward, pretty much, is the (laughs) horrible puns. They're awesome. A lot of people love them. So, I mean, obviously, it's working. A Um, lot of people. Not all of them, though. Oh, really? Do you? Well, no, I've only gotten one or I think I've only gotten like one comment that it's like your puns are atrocious. But I think the fact that I we all know they're atrocious. Supposed to be atrocious. Yeah, Yeah. they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be. And they're so right for. Thank you. That's what I was going for. Yeah, pretty much. I'm everyone's corny dad. That's what I'm going for. Yeah. Um, She also wanted to know like how much writing time goes into the asides that you you know those are always so helpful because sometimes the conversation goes and you're like wait what and you always do such a good job of just being like wait um. I'm going to pause the interview and tell you about this. So how much how much writing time and research time that goes into those? Oh, that's another great question. Um, it takes me about 12 to 15 hours of posts of me personally of writing and research. And then uh, it takes my editors, uh, Jarrett Sleeper, who does a podcast, My Good Bad Brain, and he also has a podcast called Fight Stuff about uh, – um, yeah, he's he's has two of his own podcasts. Um, Fight stuff is about like combat and wrestling and boxing and stuff. Yeah. And then uh, Stephen Ray Morris is my other editor, and he does the Percast and see Jurassic Right about dinos and cats. So I just always want to plug them. But um, <laughs> they do. Uh, Jarrett does the kind of front end editing where he takes out everything I want to take out. So what my and I'll give you the method briefly that helped me so much and I wish I would have known this instead of having to invent it for myself over the course of a year before I put out the podcast but um I record I upload it to a site called temi.com temi.com which is 10 cents a minute and then they give you a full transcript and it's like 20 oh. pages it's kind of it's a little bit of a mess it's kind of like if Siri transcribed yeah. a conversation it's AI but it's really helpful to know when did we start talking about photoreceptors or whatever. And um, I listen, I go through and I highlight in red everything that I want to get out of there. And that could be everything from a cough or a gulp to a whole paragraph or a, a bunch of ums, anything I want out to clean it up. And Jarrett goes through and he red, li- that's what we call redlining. Mm-hmm. He takes a sound file, he cuts out any anything I want to redline. And I used to do this all myself, but thank God for Patreon, because then I could hire wow. people to do it so that I could yeah. like shower. And then um, <laughs> in green, I write the asides in the intro. So I go into the document. Everything I want is redlined. Everything that I add is in green. So I will write the intro. And then as I'm listening back when I'm redlining, I put, okay, we'll do an aside here about this. We'll do an aside here about this. Add a joke here, da, da, da. And then I spend about nine to 12 hours re- like writing, researching, and then I record those asides, mm-hmm. and then I send the asides. And I also put in every time I want um, a sound effect, and I'll mm-hmm. find the sound effect like royalty free or whatever, and I'll put a link to it. and And then I'll tell Stephen where to get, where to grab the sound effects and where to put them in. And then he takes that. He takes Jared's redline version. He adds in all my asides. He adds in. He makes the sound better. He adds in all the uh, sound effects, and he'll add some of his own sometimes too. And then um, that's how it becomes a finished podcast. So it goes through a couple hands. And so, but my my writing and researching and recording takes around nine to 12 hours every week wow. just doing that. Um, yeah. That's incredible. I <laughs> it's really, yeah, a lot like, of work. I'm surprised. Yeah, I would have thought that you would have just recorded it and somebody else would have just edited out the stuff that, you know, like based on theirs, but you really like retain 
100% control, which is Oh, yeah. I micromanage literally down to the second. It's just because it's my, you know, and and it's great. Yeah, Yeah, it's my thing. And it's great when when like Stephen will add a sound effect that surprises me. And I'm like, ah, keep that one. And sometimes I'll add sound effects where I'm like, ah, I like (laughs) what you're going for. But I think that that'll startle people or it might be too out of context or it's not royalty free. But yeah, like I, um, I down to the down to the time code, you know, and I just and then he'll send me a rough edit. I'll listen to the rough edit and then I'll send him more time code of things to change. Like, oh, the, you know what? This aside actually comes in too soon. Can you change it? And so and I pay him double time for my second round because <laughs> wow. I'm like, I'm really sorry making you yeah. do a second round, but you get double you get double your rate, um, which he's fine with. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so, yeah. So that's why the, the uh, before the first six months I was doing all of that myself. And it was taking about um, 40 or 50 hours easily a week plus on top of my other job. So nine to 12 hours is like on the low end. You know, it can take up to 15 if I'm doing it, if I'm really in the weeds on a sides and, you know, I'm really wanting to find a, a lot more sound effects or whatever. So, yeah. But one wow. thing that's really helpful is if anyone's recording their own podcast and they're ever having issues about editing it, having a transcript is super helpful. And also when I'm recording takes, Sometimes I'll clap that way on the sound file. I can see a spike and then I know that a new take started. So yeah. that can be helpful. Yeah. That's one thing I learned too. I just do snaps <laughs> right into the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super helpful. Yeah. So Nico also wanted to know one thing. She wanted to know if you've ever done an interview that went horribly wrong. Oh God. Yes. Oh my God. Twice I've had interviews that well, once I've had an interview go horribly wrong. I had an interview that was really, really dry and surprising, but it was still super charming. But I had an interview with the biogerontologist, Dr. Caleb Finch, who's yep. one of the most respected people, like a, a biogerontologist in the world. He studies how we age and he's very serious. And mm-hmm. he reprimanded me a few times just for saying silly things. Like I, I even mentioned something like, there was a myth that he debunked, as we say, film, he debunked some flim flam. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting that people get that wrong. And he said, it's not interesting. It's destructive. Destructive <laughs> people get it wrong. And I was like, oh, my God. But then as soon as the interview was over, right at the end, he was like, great questions. Great talking to you. And after I turned off the recording, he was like, you're doing such a service. What a great podcast. <laughs> I was like, dude, you just raked me over the coals. Like, I thought he hated me. There's even an aside where I'm like, does this dude fucking hate me? Like <laughs> he was just so serious about his work, but yeah. I've you just uh, recorded that. That was just a recent one, right? Because I heard. Yeah, that one it wasn't recently. too long ago. Yeah. Oh my god! But I was just like, what did I do to this guy? But I just had no idea he was so serious. But he just he was delighted by the whole thing. He was happy to do it, and I, you just would never know. But from hearing it, but I also recorded a parasitologist in London. I trekked my recording gear literally mm-hmm. across oceans just to record her. We recorded it and I realized that my batteries ran out in the middle. Not only that, but I also was using the onboard mic on my Zoom. So I only got her audio and none of mine. Um, and the, and it went, so I have a, I have like a, a hidden parasitology episode that maybe I can do something with, but I'm so embarrassed. I still haven't ever emailed her to explain oh, why no. it never went off. I know. <laughs> I was so ashamed. Uh, just stop so pointer to this podcast and then you oh, like, you're God. wondering whatever happened to that episode. Just go listen here. Uh, I know. Um, I schlepped my equipment so far for it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's I know. I so have you ever just like other than that one where it was just a complete error? 
have you ever just had an interview and you were like, this is just terrible and I'm not going to put it out? You know, I thought about the biogerontology episode. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe I shouldn't. But then again, there's always an angle. Like if you look at every episode as a story to tell, like the story is this dude is 78. He's published mm-hmm. 500 papers. He doesn't mm-hmm. have time for bullshit. And like that <laughs> right. is his story. That's the angle. The narrative is like, stop being silly. This is serious stuff. And you're like, okay, well, then that's the narrative. Like I, yeah. I interviewed a, a gelatologist who studies the science of laughter. He is an MD. He studies how laughter affects like uh, aging and uh, r- free radicals and oxidizing and healing. And like he's a legit dude. And he's the most serious guy ever. Like, doesn't know how to laugh. Does not laugh. I mean, it was like the least silly interview. And he's like, I'm the guy who's serious about laughter. And (laughs) so people tuned in thinking it was just going to be like Patch Adams, like clown noses up and down. Like, and it was so serious. So then that becomes a juxtaposition of theme and content. So I always just try to find, okay, well, if it went wrong, what's the story? Like in this intonational phenology with Dr. Holiday, I was an hour and a half late or Mm -hmm. something. And I was having a panic attack on the way because Mm -hmm. it was just like Memorial Day traffic on Friday. And I didn't account for that. And it took me like two and a half hours to get to her. And she was so cool and so sweet. But I just am like, okay, I'm going to have to include this in the intro of me like losing my shit trying to find a parking space being two hours late. <laughs> so it yeah, becomes think, part of the story. Yeah. And it's so, it makes so much sense. Like you do. I mean, I I think it just adds this level of humanity to you. You know, like a lot oh. of people like you're, you know, you listen to podcasts and you don't know what the person looks like, but you can kind of get their personality and you just add this level of, you know, just like self-deprecation or just kind of backstory about, you know, what you're going through that weekend or even the asides about with the the what was his name doctor the oh the, dr caleb finch caleb yeah finch. there's yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it you know like typically your guests and you can like really you have a great rapport and you're good with jokes and they're usually like great with them too in this case not he was not so much but you did all your sides and you brought you know like you still brought it it was just like a totally different way it was really good uh, you know, you know what is so inspiring too is I have always been a big fan of Mary Roach, and Mary Roach um, does this really amazing style of kind of first person journalism where she talks about the labs she visits. And I was lucky enough to interview her when I was a reporter at the LA Times, and I've never been so nervous to interview anyone. And she was so great, and and um and. I think that one thing I always loved about Mary Roach's writing is I'm learning a lot about science, but I'm also hanging out with Mary Roach. And Mm -hmm. she, I think one thing I had to learn about, about this podcast about science communication is like not to, not to hide your flaws under the bed. You know, like if, if someone's coming over, you want to just tidy up and make everything nice. But when it comes to podcasting, that's not always the case. Like being a human Mm -hmm. is a lot of times more effective than being someone who's very polished and professional, you know, and yeah. it's it shoots me in the butt though, because and then I'll go into meetings and I forget that it's not a podcast and I'll reveal, I'll say too much, I'll TMI at a meeting and I'm like, oh, wait, this is, I can't, I'm so used to candor that comes with mm-hmm. podcasts that I have to remember in business meetings that 
I do have to put my bla- my proverbial mental blazer back on. Yeah, it's um, code switching. <laughs> it is code switching <laughs> very much. It is, you know, and you just you you get used to knowing you can kind of say anything to listeners because chances are a, a lot of listeners have had that same experience, whether it's you know messing up something or forgetting something or being late or you know watching disgusting videos. I have a secret at the end of every podcast, and the mm-hmm. last two have been I've been watching disgusting videos about worms online. So. <laughs> Really gross. Don't ever yeah. Google mango worms or bot fly larvae. Oh, it's disgusting, but it's Ew. so cathartic. <laughs> oh my God, it's so gross. It's so gross. It's like if you've ever watched those videos where they pop blackheads and you're like, why can't hey. I stop watching this? This is so gross. It's like that times a million. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about it. Oh my God. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, okay, so I totally I appreciate all your time and I don't want to take up anymore, but I have the final question, which I already prepped you for. Yes. So we want to know what you're listening to lately. Like what what do you want to recommend to the podcast Brunch Club community? Oh my God. It is so hard for me to recommend just one because there's so many good podcasts made by people that I adore and respect so much. So I thought about this and I thought I would just pull up the last episode of something I listened to to be completely fair. That way I wouldn't have to pick favorites. I would just pick last chronological. Does that make sense? Yes, let's do it. Okay. So I am going to recommend a new podcast called All My Relations Podcast. Have you heard of it? No. It's really, really interesting. It's, um, I was listening to an episode called, uh, can, wait, let me have the full title come up. Can a DNA test make me Native American? And it's, uh, by these two amazing women who host it and, I want to make sure that I say their names right. Um, it's Adrian Keen. It's Matika Wilbur and Adrian Keen. I think okay. uh, I think I'm saying that right, but um, they're awesome and they are great on Twitter. They tweet so much about indigenous cultures and Native Americans and how our culture kind of appropriates and uh, kind of disregards and how to celebrate uh, Native American culture. And so they just came out with this new, this brand new um, podcast. It's so great. So they talk about Native American issues. They have really awesome, awesome guests on. And they had Dr. Kim Talbear on, on this episode, Can a DNA Test Make Me Native American? Talking about kind of why that's problematic, why Mm. this notion of, I took a DNA test and it turns out I'm 11% Cherokee. There's, I'm more than just a white guy. Like just a DNA doesn't connect you to the culture and to that particular tribal community. And so they talk about um, Elizabeth Warren as well. And it's just a really Mm. fascinating look from people who are like scholars and who are really connected to their own uh, their own heritage and their own their own community and the current community and i um i have a cousin who is married to uh someone who's blackfoot american and she's uh she's there up in montana there so their their kind of history and their life and their customs have always been really interesting to me and to have people who are making a podcast about these issues, not only from a historical, but from a very, very current perspective is just such a great window into that world. So I, and they're doing a great job with it. So yeah, that was the last uh, episode of a podcast. I was listening to that yesterday. So. Okay. Awesome. So they do a great job. The show notes. Yeah. All my relations, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, so 
Before we say goodbye, just let everybody know how they can connect with you, where they can find you on Twitter, Instagram, website, stuff like that. Um, you can find uh, the podcast is at Ologies on Twitter and Ologies on Instagram. You can also find Ologies podcast on Facebook. Um, and it's a group that you have to be led into by Aaron and Hannah. You have to answer a couple questions, which is um, essentially like uh, – what your favorite episode was and what you want to hear in the future, just to make sure, again, there's no like mm-hmm. creepy robots. And, um, and all of the episodes are up at alleyward.com and, uh, it's alleyward.com slash ologies. If you want to go straight to it, list of all of the shows, all of the, the links to things that I've researched, all the, uh, all the charities that I donate uh, to each week now, since I started doing yes. ads, a different charity gets donated to and they get picked I by the ologist, that. which That's is awesome. so. So I just a huge thanks to the Patreon community because without their their support I couldn't I couldn't allocate that. So um it is great to have an ologist pick their yeah. their charity that they want it to go to. So all the links to the any of the charities and their websites and their Twitters and uh the ologist Twitters are all up on alleyward.com slash ologies. And um and I'm at Alleyward on Instagram and on Facebook. And yeah, so just c- scroll through the ologies list. You can you can start at any episode. It's not chronological. You can just start whatever whatever kind of you think you'd be interested in and whatever you think you won't be interested in chances are there's some weird tidbits that you'll like (laughs) absolutely i can vouch for that (laughs) well thank you so much this was awesome to get to talk to you i hope that you can join our la group one time i i I would sign you up yeah that's awesome i would love that (laughs) that'd be so cool it'd be it'd be awesome if you could just like surprise them one day i Um, know i know just popping in like a secret shopper like hey what's up it's dad (laughs) yeah i would love that (laughs) yeah thank you so much this was awesome well, thank you for having me on. Thank you for for exposing people to so many great podcasts. What a service. It's just you're doing great work and I'm so honored. So thanks for having me on. Thanks. Hey everyone, this is Steve. I'm the leader of the Minneapolis chapter of the podcast Brunch Club. I'm here with some info about everyone who makes this show possible. Most importantly, please rate and review the podcast Brunch Club podcast on your podcast player of choice. Helps us out a lot. The music you heard today is downloaded from Free Music Archive, and this episode featured music from a longtime contributor to the Creative Commons community, Poddington Bear, with their song Elephant Walk. The ad music is from Mazel Ghana, with their song Paradise. Podcast Brunch Club is organized by the amazing bionic woman, Adela. Adela's co-host on the podcast is Sarah Da Silva, the leader of the Houston chapter of the Podcast Brunch Club and founder of Audible Feast. Audio editing is done by me, Steven Zampanti. You can connect with me on my website, conceptualpodcasting.com. Thanks, and happy listening!